Test, test, test. Okay. They must have moved him around last week. No, I'm going to be over. I'm going to. Because I got to control the fan. Fan's not here today. I know. Okay. I want to begin this morning by asking you a few questions about your prayer life. And the first question I'm going to ask, I'm going to actually ask for a show of hands. And the rest, I'm not going to embarrass you. Um, I'm going to ask you to just kind of think about those yourself and, and think about your prayer life. So here's the first question. I want to see how many of you would say this. How many of you are completely satisfied with your prayer life? Would you go ahead and raise your hand? Completely satisfied with your prayer life. I'm not seeing too many hands out there. I think that's good. We probably none of us really are. But let me ask you a few more questions. And, and like I say, with these, I want you just to think about it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to really embarrass anyone. So here's the next question I want to ask. Do you sometimes feel guilty because you don't pray enough? Any of you feel guilty because you don't pray enough? Or how about this question? Do you sometimes fail to pray because you feel like you don't know what you should pray? Or how about this one? Do you sometimes feel that, that, you can, uh, that you can't be totally honest with your feelings when you pray? That somehow you can't just tell God what you think, especially if you're mad at God. 
Or sometimes when things don't make sense to you, do you just feel like maybe you don't know what to pray? Or how about this question? This will be the last one. Do you ever get bored with praying? Because you feel like you're just praying the same thing over and over and over again? Now, I think what most of us would have to admit is, yeah, we, we don't totally pray as well as we want, right? And so for the next four weeks, we're going we're gonna to talk about prayer, but we're going to do it in a little different way than perhaps you're used to. I don't know about you, but if, I know I've been in church for a long time. I've heard a lot of sermons on prayer. We've done some series on prayer here at Thornydale Family Church. And it seems like most of, those, uh, most of those sermon series generally go in one of two ways. Every time you hear a, pr- a prayer on, or a sermon on prayer, the first way is this. The, prayer, the, the sermon wants to make you feel guilty because you're not praying enough. And I think all of us probably already feel like that, but somehow we want to make f- people pr- feel like, man, you, if you would just pray more, you know, you just do that. Just by your own willpower, you ought to pray more. But like I say, I think most of us probably already feel guilty enough that we don't do that. The second approach is this. We're given some kind of a, a pattern to pray. And that's good. I mean, per, a lot of those patterns are based on what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It was a model prayer. So we come up with acronyms like ACTS. Most of you are probably familiar with that, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. It's a, a pattern or a framework that we can use to pray. And those things are really helpful. But what I want us to do over the next four weeks is to, is to look at prayer from a little different perspective. We're going to do it from the Psalms. And what I want you to see from the Psalms is that the Psalms are the language of prayer. Now, they're much more than that. We've looked at that before. A couple years ago, we had a sermon series where we, we looked at the Psalms and saw what they had to teach us about worship. And we've looked at some other Psalms over the years, and, and there's a lot of great stuff in there. But what I want us to do over the next four weeks is to focus on how we can look at the Psalms and, and see that they are the language of prayer. They're, they're the prayers of people who go before God with all their emotions, with all their problems, with all their feelings, and they just pour out their hearts to God. And sometimes those, those prayers, they're emotional, they're, they're raw. Sometimes they're even a little bit uncomfortable. If you doubt that, go look at Psalm 137 sometime. But, but what I want us to see is that that we can pray these prayers regardless of what our emotions are. And, and we're going to really spend our time over the next four weeks looking at how we can pray when things are tough, when life isn't fair, when we deal with difficulties, when we deal with sin and things like that in our lives. And so, so that's what we're going to do for the next four weeks. And my prayer for you is that, that even though we're only going to look at four psalms, is that it will open up your eyes to see how the psalms are this this language of prayer that we can use to go to God when we're hurting. I love how Eugene Peterson talked about this um, whole idea of prayer. And here's, here's what he wrote about that in a book called Praying the Psalms. He said, the Psalms, more than anything else in the church's life, are God's provision for the people who find themselves in this condition, directing and shaping the prayers of Christians into fluency. They do not do our praying for us. They cannot be mechanized into a prayer wheel. But they get us praying when we don't feel like it. 
and they train us in prayers that are honest and right. They are both an encouragement to pray and patterns of prayer. They represent the experience of men and women who have prayed in every conceivable circumstance across 30 centuries. I think that's really true, and that's, that's what I hope we'll see. We're going to begin this morning with Psalm 32. If you have your Bibles, you might want to go ahead and open up there now. And, and Psalm 32, it's a, it's a psalm that teaches us how to pray when we've sinned. Back when uh, Pam and Pete were still living at home with us, Pete had this uh, little locker that he had in his bedroom. It was a Phoenix Suns locker. I still remember that. They're finally good again after all these years. I think they beat some team from Los Angeles. Right, Ryan? If I remember right? Yeah. And uh, so he had this little locker there. And, and when Pete got ready to move out of the house, we began to move the furniture out of his room. And lo and behold, we discovered there was... Behind that locker, there was a big hole in the drywall. Now, I know you guys will have a hard time believing this, but apparently Pete and Pam were roughhousing one day, and they had put a giant hole in the wall of the bedroom in there, and, and so Pete had just moved his locker in front, of the hall, in front of the hole to cover it up, and we didn't discover it for years after that until he got ready to move out. Now, you guys are laughing at that, But my guess is that all of you have done something similar with the sin in your life. That from time to time you've tried to cover that up. You've tried to hide it from either from other people or from God. And you know how I know that? Because the Bible tells us that that is the nature of man. It goes all the way back to the garden. Back to when Adam and Eve sinned. What do they try to do? They try to hide their sin. Here's what it says in uh, in chapter 3 of Genesis. It says that then the eyes of, of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they do two things, they sin. The first thing, they try to hide that sin from each other, right? They try to cover themselves up, and, and that can't really cover their sin, but they try that. We're going to see in, a little, in just a little bit that, that God is the one who eventually comes along and covers up their sin. But then the second thing, what do they do? They try and go and hide from God as if somehow that's possible. And the thing is, we're prone to do the same kind of thing with our sin. We're, we're prone to try to hide it from God. And Psalm 32, it's really the the antidote to that. And it teaches us how we're to pray when we sin. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open them up there. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 32. You can go ahead and follow along as I read. A masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. (coughs) Excuse me. 
You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Wow, what a neat, what a neat psalm, isn't it? It's an amazing psalm. And here's the message that I want us to draw out of this psalm this morning and, and to take away from, from this passage. It's this, that the sin you most, that you want most to conceal is the one you most need to reveal. The sin you most want to conceal is the one you most need to reveal. That's really what this, this psalm is all about. You realize this is the second psalm in the whole book of Psalms that begins with a blessing. You know what the first one is? It's Psalm 1. And in Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man, basically, who follows after God, who takes the way of God, who lives his life according to God's Word, and that we get blessed by that. And I think it's appropriate here that, that the second psalm that begins with a blessing is this one because we all mess up at that, right? None of us are perfect. None of us completely follow God's ways all the time. And we're going to mess up because we're human. And God has a blessing for those who mess up. What this psalm tells us is that God is a God of second chances. That no matter how bad we mess up, there's always a chance to be reconciled to God and to be blessed and to be forgiven. No matter what that sin is. We don't know when David wrote this psalm, but here's what we do know about David. David had been a man who, who it's, the Bible says he's a man after God's own heart. He was a great king. And yet at the same time, he was also a great sinner. He committed adultery. He had committed premeditated murder. And yet he experienced the forgiveness of God. But not right away, right? He tells us here for a while he tried to hide that sin. And when he tried to hide that sin, he says, I was miserable. Read verses 3 and 4 again. And the same thing is true for us. If we try to conceal our sin, if we try to hide it from God, we are going to be miserable too. It's going to impact us just like David, physically and emotionally and spiritually. Physically, it leads to things like high blood pressure and ulcers and migraines. Emotionally, sometimes it makes us angry and, and bitter and guilty. Spiritually, it tends to drive us away from God and we dry up spiritually. But the good news is, is God is there and He wants to bless us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to wipe that sin away, but He's only going to do it for those who are willing to take their sin before God and, and open it up and to reveal it to Him. And he, he talks about that here, David, by, by using three words here for sin and also three different ways to describe the blessings that come when God forgives our sin. And the, the first word that he uses here for sin is the word transgression. And the word transgression means willful rebellion. It's saying to God, God, I know that's wrong. I know your word said I'm not to do it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And David says, God, I'm guilty of that, and so am I, and so are you. The second word here is the word sin. 
It's a word that means to miss the mark. It was an archery term that would say you shoot at a target and you miss it. And the idea is that we fail to reach the mark. We, we fail to achieve some goal. So sometimes sin can be not doing something that God told us to do. And David says, Lord, I'm guilty of that. And I'm guilty of that. And you're guilty of that too. And the third word that he uses here is this word iniquity. And iniquity means that which is bent or twisted. And the first two words, transgression and sin, they really describe the action behind sin. This describes kind of the mindset behind sin. It says that we have a twisted mind. We have a sinful nature as the Bible describes it. And David says, God, I'm guilty of that. And I'm guilty of that. And you're guilty of that too. That's what the Bible says. We're all guilty of all these things. But here's the good news. In this same psalm, David reveals that for those three ways that he describes sin, there's also three ways that God blesses us when we acknowledge our sin. Now, let me be really clear. David obviously didn't know everything to know about Jesus back then, so we can't say that he put his faith in Jesus, but he did put his faith in God and God's character and in the grace and the mercy of God, and that's the only way that he was forgiven. It's not because he deserved it. And the only way that we get these blessings that we're going to talk about this morning is because God has chosen to bless us. But these these ways to be blessed are only available to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. We know on this side of the cross that that's the only way that we can be forgiven. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve it. And so if you've never done that, I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk to you later. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can't experience these blessings. And so I'm going to talk to you later about what you need to do about that. But for most of us who have, here are the blessings that come when we acknowledge our sin before God. The first thing he says here is that God will forgive our sin. The idea here means to, uh, to lift a burden and to carry it away. And what the Bible tells us is that that God only does that for those that, 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 that confess our sin to us. In another one of the Psalms, he described that like this. This is what God does. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's the idea of forgiveness. God takes them and he removes them, and he removes them as far away as we could possibly imagine, as far as the east is from the west. And that's what God wants to do with your sin. The second thing he says is that God will cover our sin. But you know what? God will only cover our sin once we've uncovered our sin before Him. And the idea here is is of God concealing or or, or putting sin out of our sight or out of His sight. That He looks upon us and He no longer sees our sin. He covers it with the blood of Jesus and now He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And then the third thing he says here is that he won't count it against us. This is an old, this is an accounting term. And from my old accounting days, the idea is that basically God doesn't charge us with our sin. He doesn't charge that against our account. He he erases it from that and instead he credits us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but... I would love to have God do those things with my sin, wouldn't you? That's great news that that's what God wants to do with our sin. And in this psalm, what David does is he gives us some ways that we can pray in order for God to do that. 
So here's, I'm going to go through you, with you fairly quickly. Here's some ways that we ought to pray if we want God to provide those blessings. Here's the first thing I have to do with my sin. I have to own it. I have to own it. I mean, David here, he owns his sin, doesn't he? He uses personal pronouns. He says, it's my sin. It's my transgressions. It's my iniquity. He doesn't try to excuse it. He doesn't call it something else. He owns it. The writer of Proverbs puts it this way. This is a, a, a verse that I've memorized a long time ago. Proverbs 28, 13. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. In other words, if, if you don't own your sin, you're not going to get the blessings that come with you. You have to own your sin. And I think part of that is that we just call sin, sin. In our culture today, we have all these different euphemisms that we use for sin. And I think we'd be a whole lot better off if we would just call sin what it is, what the Bible calls it. We would call it sin. So instead of saying that I stretched the truth or that I misspoke, what we ought to say is that I sinned by lying. Instead of saying I had an affair, what we ought to say is that I sinned by committing adultery. Instead of saying I'm sorry for my bad temper, what we ought to say is I sinned against you by using angry and hurtful words. For some of you, instead of saying, I want to share a prayer request with you, what you ought to say is, I'm about to sin by sharing some gossip with you. Because I've seen people use prayer requests as a way to share gossip about people. So we just need to, we need to own our sin. He says here that he acknowledged his sin before God. And we need to do the same thing. Here's the second thing we need to do when we pray, is we need to see my sin like God sees it. The word confess, it means just literally to say the same thing. And so when I confess my sin, what I'm saying is that I, I say the same thing about my sin that God says. I say that it hurts God. I say that God mourns over it. I say that it's repulsive to God. I say that it's something serious, not something to be excused or, or hidden or explained away. But I'm going to agree with God. Yes, God, this is what my sin is. That's part of this whole idea of confessing it to God. And, and until we do that, until we really begin to see the, the burden of our sin like that, then it's going to be really hard for us to experience these blessings that God wants us to have. That's what David does here. He acknowledges, he just lays it all before God, and he says, God, yes, I see my sin the same way that you do. And I loathe it, and I don't ever want to go back to that again. The third thing that we have to do here is that we have to deal with it quickly. There are actually two commands in this psalm. There's a positive one, here's what I should do. And there's a negative one. Here's what I should not do. Here's the positive one. It's in verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Now, first of all, let me just say that this idea of godliness here, he's, not, he's obviously not saying that the godly are the people who never sin. Because everyone sins. Would you agree? Right? So, 
he's saying it is possible to be godly. I think here the way he's defining godly is those who have the right attitude about their sin. Those who see their sin like God sees it. And who are truly sorry for it. And who mourn over that. It's more about the attitude we have towards sin than the fact that we go without sin because we know none of us can do that. And here's what he says. He says, you better take care of it while you can. Because what he's doing here is he's implying that there's going to be a time when you won't be able to find God. There's going to be a time when you're going to sin so much, not that God's going to go anywhere, but you're going to build this wall that's so big between you and God that you will never cross over it again. So you need to deal with it right now. Don't let that sin hang on. Don't let, it, don't let it be there for a long time. Take care of it now. The negative command comes in verse 9. Here's what you're not to do. Don't be like a horse or a mule. You know what? Horses and mules, they're stubborn. They only go the way you want them to go because you have this bridle and you have this bit in their mouth to, to turn them and make them do what they want. And what he's saying here is don't be like that. Don't be so stubborn that you only confess your sin once you finally have to, once you're brought screaming and kicking into the presence of God with, with your sin. Maybe when the, the consequences of that sin get so, so bad that you just can't stand it anymore. He says, don't do that. Don't be so stubborn with it. Take care of it right now. Don't let it hang around. Finally, he says this. I need to ask God to change me. Ask God to change me. This is what we call repentance. We talk about this a lot, that repentance, it's a, it's a change in mind, but it also leads to a change in behavior, a change in action. And, and David, that's what he, he kind of says here. He says, here's the benefit of all this. He says in verses 6 through 8, if you kind of look at that, he says, God will, God will deliver you. God will save you. And then in verse 8, here's what he says. I want to look at verse 8 again because I think this is really key. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should, you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I think here's what David's saying. He's saying that as part of this idea of confessing your sin, you need to have a desire to change the way that you're living your life. He says, if you come to me and you confess your sin, he says, I'll show you the right way to go. I'll teach you how to live. But you have to be willing to follow after that. I'd go so far here as to say this. If you're not at least making an attempt to change the way you live after God brings some sin to mind and you confess it to Him, then I don't think you've really confessed your sin in the way that David is writing about in this psalm. I hope that you will pray like that when you sin. Because as we said this morning, the sin you want, most want to conceal is the one you most need to reveal. So let me just talk about that for a moment as we, uh, as we get ready to, to kind of wrap up our time this morning and talk about how do you, how do you apply this in your life? See, there are some of you out there who, who, frankly, you've never done this. And part of the reason maybe is that you're just too proud to admit that you're a sinner. Or maybe you're like me, the way I was for a long time. I thought, you know, 
as long as I do enough good things to kind of outweigh the bad things, that's going to be okay for God. But God doesn't grade on a curve. The only way I could ever earn my way into God's presence through what I do is to be 100% perfect. And I get close sometimes. Not really. That's a lie. I just, God, I confess, I just lied. (laughs) None of us get close, right? And so what we have to do is we have to count on on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And there may be some of you here this morning who have never done that. And if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never committed your life to Him, then you're not going to experience any of these blessings that we talked about this morning because that's the only way to experience it. Paul writes about this in Ephesians. He writes about this whole process. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Notice what he says here. Grace is a free gift. Forgiveness of your sins is a free gift. But the only way you get that gift is by receiving it through faith what's amazing is even the faith to receive it is a gift from God too so it's all it's all God's work but there is something you have to do you have to receive that you have to say to Jesus Jesus I am sorry for my sin I I acknowledge my sin and 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 how horrible it is and how you see my sin and I know I can't do anything about it and so I'm trusting in what you did on the cross that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin and maybe you've never done that because you're thinking, man, there's, you don't know what I've done, Pat. I don't, but God does. I don't know what you've done. But I know David committed adultery and premeditated murder, and my guess is you probably haven't done both those things. Maybe you have, but guess what? Even if you did that, God's willing to forgive you. There's nothing that you can ever do that's beyond God's forgiveness other than reject Jesus. So this morning, if you've never done that, we want to invite you to do that. We'd like to walk alongside you and help you in that decision. So please let us know. There are some of you this morning who have already made that decision in your life. But there's some sin in your life that you've been hiding, that you've been concealing, that you've been uh, trying to convince yourself that it maybe that it's not really a sin. And my guess is this morning as I've been speaking, as I've been reading the Scriptures, that God's Holy Spirit has been just bringing that to mind. My prayer is if that's the case, He's been making you miserable all morning. Because what He wants to do is to bless you. And sometimes that's the only way that we we get to the point where we we can bring our sin before God. We have to get so miserable like that mule and that horse that we talked about. So my prayer for you this morning, if that's the case in your life, if there's some sin that God's bringing to mind right now, then go ahead and just confess that to God in just a moment we pray. Finally, there's a third group of you. Maybe, maybe you can't really put your finger on it. You just say, you know, my relationship with God right now, it's not all it should be. It's a little dry. I can't quite figure it out. And maybe, just maybe, I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe you don't even recognize it right now. But it's put in a barrier between you and God. And so if you're in this third group, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray another psalm, Psalm 139. This is one of my 
one of my favorite prayers in the scriptures. It's one I pray often. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer God will answer. So this morning, just pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a few minutes just praying. And everyone here should have one of three things to pray. Number one, you might need to pray and commit your life to Jesus for the first time. Number two, you might, if God's bringing to mind some sin that you've been hiding, then you need to confess that to God. And number three, if neither of those are the case, go ahead and pray Psalm 139 and ask God to reveal anything there and then confess that to Him. So let's go ahead and spend a few moments in prayer. I just want to pray right now for each person who's joining us, whether they're in this room or joining us online. Father, for those who have never put their faith in Jesus, I pray today that you would draw them. You'd help them to understand their need for a Savior and to understand that Jesus is the only answer to their sin. Father, for those who have been dealing with maybe some sin in their life that they've been hanging on to maybe they've been hiding and you've been speaking to them this morning i i pray i pray they've already confessed it but if not father that they would do that that they would apply the the steps that we've talked about this morning and finally for the rest of us father that day by day maybe that we would pray that prayer from psalm 139 they would continually ask us ask you to remind us and to show us those areas where we have transgressed, those areas where we have sinned, those areas where our sinful nature, Father, have caused us to stray away from You so that we could confess those and acknowledge them before You and experience the joy that You desire for us. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalm ends, interestingly enough, with uh, two ways of life. Because there's two ways you can go. Number one, you can acknowledge and you can confess your sin in the way that we've been talking about today, and you can experience great joy. So, or you can choose to hang on to your sin and experience sorrow and a lack of peace in your life. My prayer for all of you is that you would choose that first way. 
Because God has promised that no matter what sin you have committed, if you'll bring it before Him and confess it to Him, and you've committed your life to Jesus, He will forgive it every single time, 100% of the time. And that's based on His Word. If there's anything that we can do for you, um, maybe this morning God's put something on your heart, maybe to give your life to Jesus, we would love for you to contact us. And there's a number of ways that you can do that.